and welcome to Until It's Fixed, a podcast by Optum. This 10-part series takes you inside the healthcare system to better understand the challenges and complexities at the industry's core. I'm your host, Susan Denser. Over the past few episodes, we've talked a lot about what's gone wrong in healthcare and that needs to be fixed so that the system works better for everyone. In this episode, we'll talk about future possibilities. New technologies will play a big role in addressing the complex issues that we've discussed so far this season. So what's just around the corner in healthcare? What's five years away or even 10? It may be easy to imagine the future, but technologists have the tougher job of turning those ideas into reality. I spoke to two of those technologists, Optum's Carrie Holly and Matthew Schiltz, to find out more about coming tech applications that will fundamentally alter healthcare. My name is Kerry Holly. I'm a technology fellow at Optum, and my major responsibilities are around um, supporting and advancing communities, and also about helping executives uh, look ahead toward the future in terms of where technology is going. As Optum's first technology fellow, Kerry often speaks publicly on emerging technology topics. Two in particular are artificial intelligence and so-called ambient computing. That's a phrase that describes computing that goes on all around us in our environment without us directing it. Think about the combination of wearable devices, motion tracking devices, speech recognition software, and other AI-enabled devices that are reshaping how we live today in our own homes. I find the era that we're in to be fascinating for a, for a number of reasons. We have so many forces at play with ubiquitous, contextual, ambient computing. We are at the cusp of a new era of computing. We have just, you know, this merger of, of three worlds. We have the physical world merging with the uh, human world, merging with the uh, world of things, and that's creating all sorts of opportunities. And in uh, artificial intelligence, I think we're all excited about the prospects and possibilities, and I'm equally excited about that. Carrie works closely with Matthew Schiltz, Senior Vice President of Product Engineering. Matthew leads the Advanced Technology Collaborative at Optum, or ATC. The collaborative has three areas of focus. One is ambient healthcare. A second is predictive healthcare. An example would be sorting through masses of data about health plan enrollees with chronic conditions to predict who might end up hospitalized and why. Then care teams could intervene earlier or proactively provide information about benefits or programs. ATC's third area of focus is voice enablement. That means creating devices or systems that can not only speak, like Siri or Alexa, but that can also carry on conversations with humans. Our goal is to help our businesses embrace these leading-edge technologies and then provide kind of a center of excellence for de-risking them and, and rolling them out inside the company. And, and we do that through projects that advance those three areas with each, one of the, with each one of our different business segments. You know, the group that Matt leads, ATC, is a North Star for our company at large. It shows the company at large the art of what's possible. It does that in a, in a pragmatic way uh, by actually having real outcomes, real results. So it's, it's truly a, uh, a transformative uh, construct in the company. 
The technology at the center of this effort is artificial intelligence. We can define artificial intelligence as aspirational, as a journey, as something that replicates human intelligence. The definition and the goals are constantly shifting as we do more research, as we do more invention, as we do more innovation. So if we go back in time into this to the 90s, we were very astounded at the fact that we could have chess playing computers. Today that's fairly typical and we still don't we don't even think about it as artificial intelligence. It still is AI in terms of how we did it, but we don't think of it that way. So that's what I mean by aspirational that uh, we'll look back in time 50 years from now, new inventions will cause us to look back and say, "Oh yeah, I guess that was AI, but it's not the AI we're doing today." Or by the same token, we're not so impressed anymore at the thought that a computer system like Watson could beat somebody at Jeopardy. We're we're not amazed by that anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, that actually ushered in a new era of artificial intelligence. It showed us the art of what was possible using natural language processing, using uh big data, using uh tons of core processors. Uh and then we had Google with AlphaGo show us that we could do even more. So each of these showed us the art of what was possible with artificial intelligence. So even though the Jeopardy win is is an old uh event, I would still say it's pretty seminal in what it's taught us about the art of what's possible with AI, just as uh Google and AlphaGo is today. Or to bring this down even to the simplest level, we're not amazed nowadays when we ask Alexa or Siri to tell us what the temperature is in the area that day we all work with Alexa and find it's it's got deficiencies in its ability to actually hold a conversation but when a device is actually holding a conversation with us has context remembers what we said a year ago remembers what we said 5 uh, months ago and is able to hold a conversation that's going to be truly amazing That level of voice enablement of devices will be a key component of ambient computing. What ambient computing is is computing that becomes invisible. It lives in our environment. It senses and responds. It's contextual. It's sensitive. It's responsive to the presence of people. It uses natural interfaces whether that's voice or gestures or whatever. And of course you can imagine the wealth of of opportunities use cases uh in healthcare that this could provide. You know, we talked about Alexa and Google Home. I mean, you just they're always sitting there listening to what goes on in your house, which is a little scary at times, but then whenever you just ask a question and say their name, they're there and they respond to you, right? And they have an answer. It's no different than your your cell phone, you know, when you when you say, "Hey Siri," and ask a question of the cell phone. Oh no, Siri just just <laughs> on my iPad. Sorry. She took you seriously. What's a real-time example of of ambient, right? Yeah, it caught me by surprise. I didn't expect that that she's listening on my uh iPad while I was talking to the on the telephone, right? Um I'll give you another one. My kids, I have a, a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old and they walk around the house with AirPods in their ears probably about 95% of the time and it drives me nuts because of course then they say they can't hear me when I ask them something, but um you know it it's just they're augmented so they they're constantly receiving information through this channel in addition to what's happening around them i mean to me those those are the things that are just going to continue and as computing gets smaller and power sources get better and 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 these um sensors and capabilities melt into our furniture and into our appliances and into everything around us i mean that's the essence of what ambient really becomes 
So let's beam forward a couple of years. Let's put somebody in that state-of-the-art smart home that uh, has a, a couple of chronic conditions and tell me what that home looks like, what the, what the array of sensors are in that home, and how they deal with the uh, chronic conditions that this person has. I think that uh, one thing we can look at is that in the home, uh, and it'll be based on uh, individual preferences and needs, but there will be sensors, sensors that can detect movement, sensors that can detect falls. Uh, we're also going to have uh, natural language interfaces where someone who falls doesn't have to have anything attached to them. They can simply shout out, help, help, I'm, I'm falling, or they can make a phone call. Uh, but these sensors uh, will be ubiquitous in the home. We'll be able to know if they've taken their medication. We'll be able to know if they've eaten properly. We'll know if they've gone outside. Uh, they'll have wearables as well. Uh, that'll be uh, connected. So for example, if I uh, have a heart condition, I, every day I step on a scale, we'll know that if you've gained so much weight that that is indicative of a potential heart failure. But that home will be uh, wired to hopefully detect potential episodic conditions before they actually require so we can do more prevention, more care. Now we have all that data in real time. You don't have to go somewhere to get it, right? And so if it's a aging in place type scenario or a high risk population where you really want the data all the time, or if it's just someone who's kind of a fitness nut and likes to wear their Fitbit or their Apple Watch or their whatever it may be, um, the data for tracking and finding anomalies is way more available than it ever has been. So the goal of any of these devices and sensors and ambient in general is to provide us that data that we can start to correlate anomalies to know when something's going to happen before it does. Right? And so when we talk about big data and analytics and all the things that Optum's investing so heavily in, it's to do exactly this. And every time, you know, when we present something new, some bit of data science of some interesting insight, the first response you're going to get out of one of our top level executives is, okay, and what intervention does that result in? Because we're constantly thinking about how do we take that and make it actionable? How do we take that and turn it into something that makes people's lives healthier and making the health system work better? You know, I have a friend who uh, has an Apple Watch like Matthew, and they didn't pay much attention to the AFib results that were coming back from their Apple Watch. But one day, for whatever reason, he decided to pay attention to it. And he actually went to his doctor and, and, and discovered, wow, I really do have an irregular heartbeat that needs to be uh, paid attention to. And so, you know, arguably this thing saved his life. It, uh, it detected something that otherwise he would never have had a clue that was going on. There will be real benefits to having these technologies. If I'm worried about my elderly parents living by themselves, I'll be reassured when there are sensors in the home that can detect if they fall and alert me instantly. But there are also ways these devices could threaten our privacy and compromise the security of our data and information. I asked Matthew about them. We know there have been examples where uh, smart devices in the home actually recorded people's conversations without them knowing about it and then turned around and emailed them to other people. We, we know that these things have happened. How do we guard against that? So I, I don't think we can compromise on security. I think it's something that always has to be thought about from uh, day one when we design in any of these processes or technologies into care delivery. And, and the same thing for privacy, right? And so 
Whether it's a patient always opting in for who's allowed to see their data, or whether it's securing with the most advanced cryptography available the connection so that no one can see the data as it flows through the internet back to the servers where it resides. Um, those are the things that, that we as a healthcare company hold very dear. And so um, you think of, of what the financial services world uh, has done and, and the trust that they've built by managing your financial data. And we take our role in providing the security and privacy just as seriously as well. And I feel that we, you know, we have to be ever vigilant. We have to continue to strive for employing best practices. We have all sorts of checks and balances on that that exist in our company. But for the most part, I feel pretty good about how well that's embedded in what we do. And, and I feel pretty good about the technologies in place to ensure security are sufficient. Combining ambient computing with voice enablement and predictive health care will lead to new capabilities for health plans, providers, and other organizations. We discussed one potential real-world scenario— Say if a customer service agent in a call center spoke with a patient. So first of all, uh, let's just take some simple analytics. If we have artificial intelligence that can listen to the calls and create analytics dashboards about trends that we're starting to see from the calls themselves, where, hey, a particular topic starting to trend in our calls, we can get in front of it and proactively manage it. That's a really simple way of just through listening to the calls and creating dashboards that humans can interact with that, that we can do that. Um, but if you take that a little bit further and you talk about how do we just make their jobs easier, the people that are interacting with our members, in the world of artificial intelligence in, in this uh, conversational AI, we can start to listen to these calls and instead of having the agent have to click through a bunch of applications, we can start to proactively display the answers for the agent on the screen to the best of our ability, of course, before they have to even go look for it. And it allows them to show the empathy we want them to show for whatever that member is going through and not have to you know, fight with those applications to get the data that they need for the member. And, and if you think about that, I mean, I think of that as a, a form of augmented intelligence. We're, we're augmenting our agents with artificial intelligence to make them better at their jobs, to make their jobs easier. And then hopefully to give our members a better experience on the other side of it too. You have this AI listening to the call in real time as the member calls us, but we can also uh, use AI and other accompanying technologies to know all the interactions that member has had with us. We can arm the agent with that information. Uh, maybe we even know uh, why the caller is calling. Uh, the agent doesn't know, but AI knows, and we can inform the agent of that as well so they can be better prepared to, uh, to respond and to, to help that member who's calling. And one can imagine you could essentially have AI systems that detect, say, a lot of people are calling up and asking questions about flu symptoms. Uh, maybe there's a flu outbreak that we need to get ahead of. Is that the kind of capability you're talking about, Matthew? Absolutely. That's a perfect example. And in that particular case, you know, we recognize maybe it's in a certain portion of the country and that allows us to rush some supplies, whether it's Tamiflu or other materials to, to some of our care delivery organizations, right? It, those are amazing uh, opportunities for us to be able to be proactive in healthcare uh, to potentially save lives. Just answering your question about flu and also with COVID-19, 
We've been working with universities where we've actually built tools to predict flu outbreaks and in a like fashion predict uh, COVID-19 outbreaks. And so when you start looking at, at patterns and trends, you can see these outbreaks are occurring in parts of the country and you can predict that they're about to occur and then you can stock up on supplies so that you can handle it more effectively. So as you both have said, part of your role at Optum is to put forward to the rest of the organization what the capabilities are today in terms of technologies and what they're likely to be in the future. If we project it forward and we bring on more and more AI-enabled technologies uh, that you've described, what does it look like a decade from now? I think that we're not that far away, maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's sooner, where our medicine cabinets will be different. Uh, We will see much more high-tech devices in those cabinets to uh, whether they're in our cabinets or they're they're a quick uh, stop at the uh, local uh, store, pharmacy, whatever. But our ability to, I mean, we can do these things today, blood tests, glucose tests, uh, AFib detection, EKG, uh, but our ability to uh, not replace a doctor, not to do clinical uh, care, but to do better than what we do today with search engines to begin to understand symptoms that we're experiencing and being able to know definitively that this symptom most likely means X, Y, or Z. I don't see this replacing doctors. I think we need doctors to to actually do the clinical care and to affirm that, in fact, this is what we think it might be. But I think we can help the doctors and we can augment them and we can do better than what we're doing today, as I said, you know, with search engines. Yeah, I love that comment that Carrie just made about augmenting the doctors. I think that's spot on. I think our, our job is to give them better tools so that they can be more effective uh, and treat more people more, you know, at, at a larger scale. So as we move to wrap up, Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, has this wonderful observation that we as human beings tend to focus very obsessively about what's going to happen in the next couple of years or few years. And we neglect the sheer amount of stuff that's going to happen in the next 10 years, the real sweeping transformations that are going to fundamentally alter the way we live our lives. What is in that category that we're not paying enough attention to that is fundamentally going to alter the future of healthcare a decade from now. Any thoughts about that? Well, I, I think that um, that we've only begun to see the early signs of artificial intelligence. We've only begun to see the early signs of ambient intelligence. I, I, I look at us as being the equivalent of 1990s when the internet first came on the scene and we questioned the value of the internet. I see AI in a, in a very similar uh, pathway. I think that there's some other uh, you know, technologies that are on the horizon and maybe in a decade from now, uh, whether it's newer morphic computing, whether it's quantum computing. I mean, we can't predict what the future will look like. Uh, at least we can try, but none of us have been very successful. But I do think that artificial intelligence will fuel quite a few things. Matthew, how about you? What would you say were not necessarily paying as much attention to as a force that will dramatically transform healthcare a decade from now. I'm going to take a little different tack to your question. (laughs) See how this goes. I, I actually think that the 
technology is racing ahead of the people and the processes to take advantage of them. And I think that the thing that we really need to focus on is how do we better use the state-of-the-art technology and the processes we already have. Whether it's my primary care physician has no access to my Fitbit or my Apple Watch data, or it's the hospital really isn't connected into anything going on in my home, I think we really need to rethink some of the things we take you know, some of the processes that, that we take for granted and start to figure out how do we start to let the technology disrupt some of the processes that we've been operating the same way for the past, let's say, 100 years. And I, I think that the humans and the processes that the humans are used to are going to be the hardest things to change. I really think that, that we are going to have to work really hard to start to embrace the, all the capabilities that this stuff is bringing to the table. And it's not going to be easy. There's a lot of inertia standing in the way of our ability to take up and adopt these technologies. That's exactly right. This sort of piggybacks on the concept of change and, and, and cultural change and getting people to adapt. Cultural change, uh, I think, is a part of what Matthew is talking about, that, that we can't discount the, the need to, to bring the, the organizations and the people along uh, in embracing uh, change. We've just lived through a case study of that. The telehealth technology has been around for 60 years, but it took a pandemic to get it into as widespread use as we've seen over the last few months. So it takes a lot to bust through this inertia. <laughs> yeah, it does. I think that uh, organizations do need to understand that we're not pushing technology. We're simply arguing, asserting that technology can be one factor to move companies forward in terms of hyper automation, digitization, hyper personalization. Uh, but I would say, you know, look at the, the things we've always talked about, people, process and technology. Focus your attention on how do you incrementally get better. So the stage is now set for healthcare to take advantage of technology. Put it in the hands of the sector's smart people. Let them reimagine and reinvent the many processes that make up healthcare and create the exciting future. That's all for this episode of Until It's Fixed, a podcast from Optum. I'm Susan Denser. Thanks for listening. <laughs>